Okay, episode 22, we are live. I've got Erica Lou Williams from Great NOLA, and I've got Eric Johnson from Ignited. You know how we do it, we get right into this thing. Erica, let's tell them first that I do know you. We've had a few vegan bowls together in O-Town. <laughs> I'm not uh, really vegan. People <laughs> would probably make fun of me. I'm plant-based. Plant okay. Had some plant-based uh, lunch bowls in Oaktown together. Uh, I'm sure we're going to have a bunch more. Uh, let's get into it. Let's talk Great NOLA. Uh, when did it start? How did it start? Describe your product to the audience. Sounds good. So I'm Erica. I'm the founder of Great NOLA. It's clean ingredients, superfood granola. It actually started seven years ago but um one disclaimer was uh five of the first year the first five years was a side hustle so i was making this healthy granola just during um an annual post super bowl cleanse my husband and i do every year for a month so it's like after all the tailgating holiday you accumulate a little bit accumulate a little bit of fluff and uh we would just start this 28 day like clean eating diet and 10 years ago when we used to do this cleanse there just weren't a lot of um, healthy options when we wanted to snack on something sweet and crunchy outside of fruit. So I got frustrated with this and I'm a huge foodie. I'm constantly watching Food Network. I saw one of my favorite celebrity chefs, Alton Brown, make granola on TV. And mid hunger, I decided to come up with my own version of granola using healthy ingredients as often granola has kind of a lot of sugar, bad oils. And this ended up becoming not just a staple when we were on this diet, but just year round, my husband Tank wanted me to make it all the time. So I was actually working in Silicon Valley, had a full-time tech job, and I had an itch to start my own business and decided to launch my healthy granola as my startup in a very lean fashion using all the kind of startup lingo. So I was baking it at home as a cottage food operator, sold it at the local farmer's market, and um, pretty quickly, I got it voted into Google, uh, Google HQ and Mountain View, and they became kind of like my first customer outside of the farmer's market customer. So I launched the business in food service. I started building that tech office pantry market over the course of the many years of side hustling on the side of my tech job. I went full time in late 2017, have been full time since, and it's been quite a ride. Uh, and COVID's been, I would say, the biggest challenge since food service is completely squashed now. But, uh, We're going to get into that. I'm going to back this up a bit and I'm going to give some uh, framework here. Um, when you are working for your tech startup, uh, for a tech startup, uh, and you have put together this granola uh, and you moved it now into food service. So those that are watching, we're going to talk food service for a second here. Describe to the audience what that looks like. Sure. Uh, because are you giving it to Google in a bag or are you giving it to them in bulk so that they can provide it uh, as a source to their uh, staff and employees? Describe that. Yeah. So uh, just to kind of also put you in the framework of where I was as literally like a three month entrepreneur, I was buying bags on like eBay, hand labeling, you know, these retail size units for the farmer's market. And then Google suddenly they're like, Hey, you got voted as the granola that Googlers want. Send us your pallet specs. And I'm literally like, what in the hell is a case pack of pallet spec? Like I'm a three month old entrepreneur, never done anything in food before. Um, but to answer your question, it is bulk. 
Um, so not all products that the employees, so it's for the employees, they eat it for free. Um, not everything is sourced in bulk, but when it comes to kind of like the cereal category, it's usually um, in kind of like bulk dispenser bins. It'll have a label with your brand and some nutrition, but it's like you're pouring it out for your breakfast or as a topping. So I am supplying it in bulk um, and it basically is there for Googlers and all these employees to eat limitlessly for free. And then it goes through, I sell it to a distributor usually, and then that distributor stocks the offices with the snacks and beverages. So there is food service uh, out there that supplies to not just uh, corporations that look like a Google or a Facebook or a LinkedIn, whereas a lot of the food on premise is free, um, not just in, in the kitchens where they're having lunch and, and, and other things. There's areas within there, like in this particular scenario, where they're in these big vats and people can come over and sort of put a bowl underneath it and, and, and put a, a cup or two of great NOLA in there. Um, and that makes for a great opportunity at that time, we'll, we'll, we'll fast forward shortly at that time, because you're selling to them or a distributor who's then providing it to them in the, in the hundreds of pounds. You're not just providing it to them thousands right, of pounds. in thousands of pounds. So, fans, so go ahead. Oh, no. I mean, Google itself, their first order was like 1,500 pounds. Their first single order. They're the dinosaur whale customer of all these tech accounts. But once you start accumulating a bunch of those offices, it's in the pallets, right? Across the board. Got it. Now, at the same time, you are in, in sort of a farmer's market. Uh, you are going online. You're buying bags. You're sort of hand- uh, hand hand uh, filling the bags, putting a sticker label on, and then selling them at a farmer's market. Could you describe what did the bag size look like and roughly how much were you selling it for? Sure. Um, so the bag size was 12 ounce and I just literally like went to the Whole Foods down the street, saw what was the competition and just kind of worked from there to benchmark. Um, and I did the same thing for pricing. So I remember at the farmer's market, I was selling one bag for $8 and then I did a two for 15 or a three for 20. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, I actually still sell, uh, my bags. They're now 10 ounces though. Okay. So that's kind of how I had to deal with inflation and price costs, uh, while keeping my, I would say my SRP competitive. Um, but they're $8 on my site. There is shipping, but then I do sell as much as $9.99 on the website for a single unit. Let's talk co-packing. Yes. Uh, for somebody who's starting a food brand, let maybe in this particular space or something uh, closely related, how did you transition from the kitchen to a co-packer? How did you go about finding one without naming? Uh, and, and what did that process look like? Okay, so I had to go from hand baking like 20 pounds a week out of my home kitchen out of one oven to finding a commercial kitchen just to have enough stock to have at this like Google fair. So basically my opportunity into Google was through a snack fair. They don't hold these anymore. They've outgrown them, but a lot of tech offices do this where they basically invite a bunch of vendors, snack and beverage brands to showcase their products, market it to the employees who come out and sample and vote for what they want in the kitchen. It's very democratic. So I, um, to prepare for the Google fair, which was going to have a turnout of thousands of people, uh, I had to quickly find a commercial kitchen just to bake enough product for the event. And so that was literally me and my mom hand baking 150 pounds of granola, me finding the smallest Dixie cups so that no one could hoard samples because I had a finite amount. And um, I just looked, found a local kitchen. So I'm out in the East Bay, Danville, California. I found a commercial kitchen somehow on Yelp, maybe. Um, 
and was able to get in there, pay for like kind of like hourly time. And then once I got the Google purchase order and it was for the 1500 pounds and I had the full-time job and I knew I wasn't going to quit yet, I didn't know what a co-packer was. So it was more so me going out to my network, which was by the way at ground zero, cause I knew no one in food, but it was just asking that first person who might've known someone who is in food to see if I could find a commercial kitchen. And then it was through many networked conversations that I quickly learned oh, there's a such thing as a co-manufacturer, someone who produces your formula for you. Um, and then suddenly I knew to kind of look and ask for a co-packer, which I had just learned about. And it took about a seventh degree network to finally land on two options. And I'll put it out there. It's not easy to find. Um, co-packers don't go out there and market themselves on Yelp or on Google and have SEO ranked search results. I'm a co-packer for granola. Like most of these businesses are have their own business and they have their own line of products. So they're not necessarily marketing themselves as I do co-packing for X, Y, Z products. So it was a lot of networking. Um, and then once I landed on the two options, I, I just felt more comfortable with uh, one of them. And then we, we went into basically the R and D step, which was taking my home baked formula and kind of getting it more commercial ready, producing it more at scale and then finalizing that pricing. Okay, so uh, for those watching, it is about asking questions. It is about calling your network and really just connecting the dots because um, she's correct. Uh, Co-packers, uh, at least the ones that are going to work with you in the beginning as a smaller business, uh, they are harder to find. So you are going to need to sort of triangulate yourself um, to those opportunities. So really listen to that start making some phone calls, start connecting the dots uh, when it comes to stuff like that. Uh, I'm gonna move us forward. Um, you have by then put together the branding around Great Knoll at some point. You have even maybe come up with that color choice. She's got this really great purple bag. I think you're doing some rebranding stuff right now, but um, tell us when that was uh, and what was the first physical retail door? Uh, that you were in and how did you get into it? Yeah, so my packaging has actually gone through about four iterations from since inception. So in the beginning, it was a clear bag. I had my friend who was my a designer just hooked me up with a free design. It was very burlappy. I was like, oh, Granola Supernatural. There's no thoughts around brand identity and how to set yourself apart on competition because at the at the farmer's market, you get to sell and get people to sample product before they buy each and every time. So having your packaging really stand up, stand out on its own, wasn't something that I thought about. Um, so eventually I moved over to a better looking hand labeled packaging, but still in a clear bag that like jammed every single value prop right in the front. Um, it kind of played on the eight in my name, which is Great Nola. And it played on eight great reasons to love Great Nola. And literally in like a four by six space, I jammed eight reasons to love it, thinking that people are gonna like read all of it. Um, and then at some point I decided to move to a custom branded bag, which usually requires higher minimum order quantities with printing. It's hard to just print like a hundred bags custom printed. And so at the time I was still pretty small and it felt like a huge commitment, but that ended up becoming a really great exercise because when I sought to do the design step and I actually found a new designer, they really pushed me to think about my brand identity. I've never had to think about it before in food service or um, the farmer's market because it either moves because it's free and it's already out of the pack 
or you're literally there selling it in person and getting people to sample before they buy. So they get to kind of build that relationship with you and the brand right away. Um, but I was forced to really think about, okay, what's your brand? What do you stand for? What are your brand values? So when consumers see your packaging, what are the adjectives that you want them to think about, right? What's your mission? What's your vision? And from there you build the brand. So I moved to a custom printed bag and um, you know, at that point I was still direct to consumer and food service only. So people were only buying a custom printed purple bag online. And I actually did not start pursuing retail until last fall. So just to give you some timing, I started the business June, 2013 side hustle, got into Google end of January, 2013. So started supplying them in 2014, continued to side hustle, went full time on the business in 2018. I didn't hit retail until late 2019. And that's because again, all the networking, all the conversations I've had with so many other entrepreneurs where I've kind of heard how tough and expensive retail can be. And I knew that as long as I could grow my, grow my other channels, direct consumer food service, let me just wait on that until I'm ready. Let me wait until my brand is at least known through food service and it will be less of an uphill battle. So since I've launched into retail, there was a whole slew of learnings because one of the first things that you do when you get into retailers is you start to demo, at least a product like mine, granola, it's very easy to sample. And I started to realize like, wow, like people do, you know, I do see how my branding does pop on the shelf, but I really think that my packaging can work for me better, right? How do I make the flavors more marketable? How do I make the taste come out? Granola all looks the same more or less. How do you actually like, make something sound or look more appetizing through words, through images, through copy. Um, and so I've done kind of like a V2 of my custom branded pack since then. Got it. Okay. So we're, if we're in the middle of last year, you've just launched into some, I think some SoCal uh, retailers, uh, like an Air One, correct? Oh yeah, that was opportunistic. I had Air One for a while. It wasn't like me officially pursuing the retail channel though. Got it. And yeah. so you, you've got direct-to-consumer through your website, direct-to-consumer through Amazon. You've got some physical retail doors. You're doing food service. Um, let's jump to today, or at least in March, food service, as we all know, um, shut down. Um, and that's because there are no more offices that are open or, or definitely weren't in March and we're starting to see some reopening. So I wanna fast forward us if you don't mind. Um, what does Great NOLA look like, not just right now, but in 12 months from now? Seeing sure. where we're at, seeing the platform that's, that's sort of set in front of us, what, what does it look like? Sure, so right now, food service is gone and I am not building my plan or my growth around that channel. And at the time that it, um, you know, when things shut down because of shelter in place and because so many of my end customers are like pure tech companies, ones that can continue to work from home pretty indefinitely. Um, I have already looked at that as like, that's a shit that sailed. If it comes back, that's amazing. It's a bonus, but I'm definitely not sitting here waiting for it to come back. Um, in the interim, I mean, one upside is that my direct consumer has really increased. So in April, it was 5x, even though it started to plateau a little bit, it's still at 3x from where it was before. And I think it's synergistic with the fact that people are buying things at home, buying pantry items and shopping for groceries at home online a lot more, but also that there is this consumer, this tech worker, thousands of them that used to eat my granola every single day 
that used to get it for free and now actually have to go seek me out. And I've had many customers actually reach out to me saying, Hey, I tried to buy four other brands at Whole Foods and they just weren't as good as yours. And so I'm just glad I found you online and I'm going to continue to purchase from you online. So I think there's some synergy around like my old customer who used to buy me at their, or used to have me at their place of work for free, who now will go and find me online and purchase the same product either through Amazon or my website. Now, since COVID, I've had to react and basically find revenue out of nowhere. And it's so interesting to think about what fish I've been able to kind of find, given that I'm now in this desperate corner. Whereas when I used to have food service and it was just humming and growing and I knew what to do, I was sitting on potentially like hundreds of thousands of dollars of revenue that I wouldn't have even thought to look for because it wasn't missing. So I've been able to actually um, get some large purchase orders through like direct to consumer platforms, right? Subscription platforms like Imperfect Foods or Misfits, um, those kind of players. And I, that's where I would really love to double down on. I know that they usually sell your product that's, you know, a little bit lower than cost, but it is for a particular consumer who's a little bit more eco-conscious, uh, more modern. Um, but I'm hoping that there could be some recurring revenue there. If it's not permanent, then at least like on a quarterly basis, cause those are pretty large orders. They have massive platforms and um, consumer bases. And then retail was actually going to be my main growth channel. Again, it wasn't going to grow anywhere close to the level that I had food service at, but I know that in order for me to build a brand, food service is not the channel, right? Because it's mostly both people get it for free. I know that one day I do need to become a retail brand. So my plan was always to, to actually deliberately pursue retail this year. Um, buying, I think, has started to resume a little bit. So I'm starting to kind of hit the ground again, trying to um, get into very particular uh, channels and regions. So I'm really only focused on California, maybe up to the Pacific Northwest. Um, in the natural specialty channel. So that plan has not changed. So I'm still operating on the same plan as far as priorities go and like what channels I want to focus on, which is retail and now more so direct consumer, but I'm operating without this crutch of having massive food service volume and cash flow from it. Not massive cash flow, but some cash flow from it. Got it. So, yeah. So I think 12 months, I'm still, you know, I'm going to be focused on growing my retail, maybe a little bit more slowly than I thought I was this year. And then I think D2C and other D2C platforms um, will be a larger priority than I thought it would have been without pre-COVID. All right. Well, great, Nola. Wish you nothing but the best, Erica. We are switching over to Eric Johnson from Ignited. Uh, I know you uh, deal in different verticals, but mainly CPG uh, is a big one for you and uh, specifically better for you foods. Uh, give us a little take on what you do and who you do it for. So we've been fortunate to uh, dive into the, what I call the better for you food category as, as we saw that the, the center of the grocery store was losing share and the outside better for you um, fresher space was growing. We saw opportunity and about six, seven years ago, we hooked up with a guy named Mark Rampala who had started a, a coconut water brand called Zico, um, helped him scale that business, tripled it in a fairly short period of time. And then he ultimately was able to, to sell off the, the business into Coca-Cola, which gives you a massive distribution. But we learned in the scope of that, how do you use a mix of kind of digital 
and sampling and experiential marketing, very targeted in key markets. So we did LA, Miami, and New York, and then scaled it nationally. Um, did something similar with a brand called Kavita that's in the kombucha category, number two in the category, um, and basically worked with uh, Bill Moses and his team to go figure out how do we scale that out as kombucha became more of a mainstream product, again, in the better for you space, and, and uh, ultimately was able to get PepsiCo to come in. And, and what happens is these brands get to a point where you're doing great, but then in order to get everywhere, having a big partner like that to jam it in everywhere makes all the difference in the world. They could just put it on those red trucks or this red and blue trucks and it gives you scale. And what's been fun is, is that these brands in the scheme of things compared to a big, big brand are able to use kind of a combined digital experiential sampling with some influencers very cost effectively to help you scale. And we've seen that work uh, multiple times. Um, we've also worked, uh, we spent a couple of years working on a brand called Soylent. It was a meal replacement drink backed by Google Ventures and Andreessen Horowitz. And, um, and the guy who did Kavita, Bill Moses, got a brand called Flying Embers, which is in the better for you alcohol space. Believe it or not, there's gonna be a category in better for you alcohol where um, you get the benefits of kombucha, but it's got alcohol in it, and they're gonna be doing that in other um, sub-verticals within alcohol. So we're, we're seeing lots of growth, and we're, we're based here in Southern California, and there's tons of entrepreneurs and capital available to go invest in these kind of companies and help them scale as they, they seek to reach a national audience. Cool. Uh, definitely name some uh, big brands and some big players in the CPG space. Uh, if you've not heard of them, you should definitely go check them out and some of their stories. There's definitely some cool ones. Uh, Eric Johnson, Erica Lou Williams info. That's what I was doing right there. Their info is down there. Uh, I appreciate having both of you on. I wish you nothing but success. Thanks, Mark. Good, good.